Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Transplant's Take on Sport. My name is Lewis Daniels and today I'm joined by Sean Rook, a two-time kidney transplant recipient and manager of the Wales Transplant Football Team. We chat about the origins of the Wales Transplant Football Team, how Sean became a team manager, their recent return to training, greatest sporting achievements and much, much more. Sean also opens up about his lifelong kidney problems, both his kidney transplants and picking himself up after setbacks. As I say in the podcast, Sean is a real role model, so I hope you take something from our chat, just like I did. If you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure you press subscribe or follow wherever you normally listen, so you don't miss an episode. And if you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, all the links will be in the show notes. Sean Rook, welcome to Transplants Take on Sport. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. and. A football one today, which is, I think by the time this goes out, the Euros will have finished, but the football theme continues. Uh, you are the manager of the Wales Transplant Football Team, and you're actually recording this chat from uh, a dialysis unit where you are a patient advocate, which is, I think is great. We'll come straight onto the Wales Football Team to start with. When was the team first set up? Uh, so the team actually were, were set up uh, towards the transplant games that was held in Newport in 2019. That became official, uh, the official Tim Transplant Ad Cymru. Um, but the team itself had been working together for roughly four and a half, nearly five years. Um, we put uh, a youth project together where we had gave young adults the opportunity to do football training. Um, so I was working closely with uh, the youth worker from Cardiff and Vale, Sean Thomas. And it was something that developed from there. We'd been doing the training for so long, um, but we hadn't ever actually had the opportunity to officially put a team together and, and get them to have the opportunity to play. So actually it was the transplant games where they actually had their, their first kind of taster of playing a, a proper football game. And were you involved from those four or five years beforehand? Yes. Uh, yeah. So I was a patient advocate uh, for Kidney Wales charity. 
Uh, I was with them for four and a half years. So it was through doing my job and it was actually their youth project that put on various workshops and anything really to help uh, young people with their mental health and, and get involved in activities outside of their renal condition. So yeah, it was actually myself and Sean Thomas that, that launched the training. Uh, so I've been with it from the very beginning and been able to see the lads just being able to have that camaraderie that you get with football in general and being one of the lads, so to speak. And that was lovely to see, you know, because it meant that when they came to training, it was no kind of feeling of you're a patient or you're different to anyone else. It was a very relaxed environment. And we also were able to provide the flexibility that you could, whatever kind of uh, ability that you had, you were able to take part. And obviously that for us was a massive priority, you know, so we made it feel a safe and comfortable environment um, and just gave the flexibility to everyone to be able to do as much or as little as what they could do. And that's the main thing, transplant, people with transplants playing sport, I know from my own experience, just wanted to get back involved once you've had the transplant and just absolutely be there again. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. It's just actually providing uh, a place where you have the opportunity to get back involved, because I think probably like you may know yourself is, you know, when you, uh, you, you have a chronic illness, sometimes you feel that you can't um, match the ability that is expected of your peers. So through no fault of, of your own, um, it's kind of your, your mentality kind of plays tricks on you and makes you take that step back and not get involved and not compete. So obviously by doing this, uh, this football training and, and other sports that we've done, you know, it was actually showing the patients um, that they are capable and actually, you know, providing the opportunity to get their fitness and stamina back up so that if they felt that they also wanted to compete and, and go and uh, play for local teams or, or go elsewhere and try other sports, we were just kind of providing that confidence to be able to go and do that. And you mentioned that there's various abilities in there with the different players. What's the standard like overall? Do you know what? The standard is phenomenal because I think what happens again when you've got that camaraderie and you're you're playing with peers that you know, friendships that you build, everybody pushes everyone. So everyone's always pushing them further than they expect to be able to do. And the standard of players that we've got throughout the whole team is absolutely phenomenal. You know, if, if you're able to actually come to our training, which would be amazing if you could do that you know one day in the future you would actually you'd look at the football training and you would think that you were just watching a local league you were watching just general group of lads doing a normal training ready for a game it, it really doesn't look any different at all and you've been you were there since the the start of the the team before it became the wales transport football team mm -hmm. did you see sort of a, an increase in demand or a growth that coincided with Wales at the Euros in 2016? Oh, yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, like, as, as soon as we, we started it, I mean, like, when, it, when we first started it, um, we only ever had about maybe four to maybe eight, nine lads um, attend the training. So it was very, 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 very small. And it wasn't actually until we linked up with uh, Owen Shakespeare, who is a liver transplant patient, who got in contact with myself and Sean, 
um, he had created uh, a local team and he was really keen to get transplanted patients in that team. And we thought, well, this is fantastic because if we align this with the training that we're doing, we're also providing another experience, which we really wanted. And as soon as we did that, our numbers massively grew almost overnight, you know, so where we had a maximum of, of eight transplant players and dialysis players uh, training on the weekends, we then went up to uh, 10 to 15 really, really quickly. And they really enjoyed obviously being able to interact with uh players that were non-transplanted players so they also then had that situation of right i'm competing now with normal people i'm training with lads that aren't chronically ill so again it's pushing them an even step further which was absolutely great for the boys and i think that's why we've got the the kind of the abilities that we have now and the kind of growth that we've got now because they've had that experience they actually they actually know that a chronic illness doesn't have to stop them. They can compete at any level that they put their mindset to. And it's so good to hear as well. So are you competing? Are you competing at the 2019 British Transplant Games? Mm-hmm. Are you competing in sort of local and national leagues as well? Uh, so no. So the Transplant Games was um, our, our first kind of major tournament that we ever did. Um, we have talked about looking to uh, compete in other other leagues, and I think that will come. I think what the, the difficulty that we've had is the pandemic has obviously knocked us back nearly two years. Absolutely. So where we absolutely flew in the Transplant Games and had amazing success, that was kind of the stepping stone for us to go to the next level and say, okay, let's see if we can join a league and and compete on that level. And then obviously the pandemic hit and it's just knocked us back. So we're now in the situation whereby we've only just started training up again, obviously having to be very aware that the pandemic is still there. So we've got to make sure that the boys are safe, you know, being chronically ill and being immunosuppressed. We've got to make sure that we put their safety first. And then hopefully as time builds, we will get back to where we were and actually get to uh, show off the abilities of what Welsh players have to offer. I see, I think I always forget that 2019 seems so long ago now. Oh, doesn't but it? When you, when I, th- I was just thinking about it there when you answered, 2019 World tra- uh, British Transplant Games mm. in what would have been, I just had my transplant, so July, August. There's only what, six, seven months, six, seven, eight months until the pandemic hit so you've not had that much time as sort of the official team training together really no no not at all you know and and even when um we went to the transplant games you know we didn't have i suppose a select 11 or a select 15 we didn't decide on who was playing where it wasn't a solid format for for the team we basically our our goal for Newport was to basically include every person that was able to go. So we made sure that all of the lads that had been to either all of the trainings or only able to come to a select few, we gathered them all together and said, listen, you are all going to represent, you're all going to have your time on the field, and we're all going to just see what we can kind of do with, with what we've done over the kind of four years. And we didn't have any ex- expectations. We just literally wanted to be able to say that we were able to represent the games in Newport for 2019. The games hadn't been back in Wales since something like 1996. And Wales hadn't really had a massive cohort of patients go into the games since that time, really. 
So it was just about being a representation of what Wales can can kind of put can kind of show and put on the table. And so everyone, yeah, everyone got the opportunity. So we didn't have the select level and everyone got to have a game. And to think that we were able to come second out of that was absolutely huge, absolutely phenomenal. I and the rest of the team managers could not have been any prouder of what every person did on that field on that day. They just worked so well together. They were so really good as well with the fact that we wanted everybody to play, you know, with the abilities that they had, because obviously the further you get up the competition, you're thinking, right, well, I want to win this, you know, so let's look at putting our best boys out there so we can actually come home with the gold. And we're like, no, we, whatever, where, whatever level we get to, whatever position we can, let everybody have the opportunity to say that they were a part of the team. And that for me was great because every lad respected that and everyone just pushed everybody forward. And it was phenomenal. It was such an amazing day. It's a great achievement and a, a great outlook on running the team and the competition as well. And you mm. in that as a manager, a big part of that success and building the team up. What does your role as a manager involve? Uh, so in the in the very beginning, like I call myself a team manager now, I was very much just uh, a patient advocate in a role, trying to get other patients to come and play football. Um, to be called a team manager for the British Transplant Games was an absolute honour. Um, obviously, you know it does involve a lot of work to to get the team together and and make sure that the team is able to be there and represent. And as a team manager now, I'm very much just about being a representative of the team. Um, we are very fortunate now that we actually have uh, an actual coach, a professional coach uh, for the boys. So it means that actually we're able to help the boys progress to where they want to be in the team. Um, so I do very much feel like I just, I take um, uh, a step back now and just ensure that the boys are happy, they're fit, and they're well to be able to compete. And were you always involved in football and with teams growing up as well, maybe as a, a manager or a coach at some point in your life? Uh, so no, never as a manager, as a coach. I've always enjoyed playing the sport, you know, even as a kid, you know, I absolutely loved it. Um, I played for my local team for about four years and, and again, that was amazing um, because being able to do that um, as a, a patient, you know, is is not the easiest of things to do. You know, you feel that you've got to try and push yourself a little bit harder than pro probably what your friends did um, to make sure that you're able to to make the team and also that you you're physically fit to be able to do that, you know, alongside having the chronic illness. But no, so I've, I've never had the opportunity until... Um, I, I've been uh, looking after this this Welsh team. So again, that that in itself is, is huge. To go from just being a player to now be in a situation where I'm trying to help support lads, you know, achieve whatever goal it may be, you know, if they had to continue into football, whether they would even consider doing things like coaching themselves and maybe be in a situation where they can help coach the team in the future. We'll touch more on you playing football when you were younger uh, later on in the podcast, which is another remarkable achievement considering when you had your first transplant. Which So please stick around to hear more about that. I asked the same question to Jo from the England and Wales Transplant Cricket Club when she was on the podcast. What are the aims of the Wales Transplant Football Team? 
uh, for me. Uh, the aims of the, the Wales football team is to be there as a consistency. Um, you know, what I want for the team is to achieve, obviously, win trophies, um, you know, provide every opportunity to play any type of game that, that is possible. But I'd, I'd like it to leave a legacy moving forward that, you know, what they start now will provide the opportunity for other younger patients that may be struggling, may be feeling that they're unable to compete, like I said in the beginning, and that actually what it does is it's laying down the grassroots so that actually for future people who just want to play and have that opportunity, we'll make sure that we're able to continue providing it for them. That's a great aim and a great attitude for you to have and to have such an impact on the players that are playing is credit to you. We touched you. on the COVID situation earlier on mm. with the, that short gap between the team playing in Newport and the pandemic hitting. How has COVID affected the team? And has, I don't like with the Transpac cricket team I'm involved with, how important has the team been to each other throughout the pandemic? Oh, oh it's been absolutely massive. I know that um, uh, you kind of set up the social media groups, you know, um, once once these things sort of develop and the lads have been constantly talking to one another, supporting one another through it all, obviously really chomping at the bit to get back into training. And obviously after the Newport games have been so successful, they really wanted to hit the ground running and continue, continue that success. So it has been really, really hard over the 18 months, nearly two years now to have not been able to have that opportunity. And I think with uh, chronic illness in itself, you know, it kind of, you, you get to situations where you can become institutionalized, where you feel that you're stuck because you're incapable of doing things that others are doing due to falling unwell or not feeling that you are um, capable at the point in time because you're just going through so many different things or you might be having uh, regular medical treatment. So obviously when the pandemic hit, I think it, it created a larger pressure and it, it made people or, or patients certainly realise even more just how restrictive life is. But to then be able to, you know, when the pandemic hit and it said you literally cannot do anything because being chronically ill and being immunosuppressed, you are such a high risk. You know, it, it was almost like a prison sentence. And I think in some ways it still feels like that for many because where people were so desperate to get out and couldn't put up with it anymore, it was becoming such a stress to be able to not to do anything and almost have your your hands tied when they started to uh, take the restrictions away and allowed people to go back out, people then became stuck and scared and frightened of, well, after I've been in so long, how safe am I going to be going back into the open world? So there's yeah. been such mixed emotions, I think with, with the pandemic that in some ways, People are, are really, really badly still suffering. And I think they're unable now to get themselves out of the own, their own bubbles that they put themselves in. Then on the other hand, and, you know, the football team is a perfect example. I think because they've had that camaraderie through social media and reg regular check-ins and supporting one another, 
you've got the other side of things. So they're coming out fighting. They're ready to get back on the pitch. They're ready to get back into their normal lives. And, and realistically, that's what they want. And actually, one comment um, has been made recently, uh, obviously due to the fact that, you know, we've still got to try and keep the lads safe as much as possible. And it's a perfect comment, I think, for chronic illness in itself, is that, you know, we have to live. We have a life to live and we yeah. have to live it. So even with the pandemic, we have to learn to live with it. And we're so used to being restricted in so many ways that patients have learned to live with that. So this is kind of just um, uh, another kind of uh, cut on the post, I suppose, I suppose. Whereas it's just another situation that they have to learn to live with and they're ready to do that. It was very strange trying to do some sort of reintegration back into life, whether that be seeing family in the garden, going back to mm. playing some sort of sport or even going further back, going out for a walk for the first time after shielding. Yeah, huge. Have you been able to get back to training? And if you have, what was it like to start again and be close to people? Oh, do you know what? For for me personally, I, I was very much like the lads. Um, I was very keen to get the football training back together. And I was really looking forward to just being with the lads again and having that opportunity to have that bond that you just can't have over social media. You know, I think we've all gone through that process of surviving through video calls and sending regular messages, but it's not the same as having a face-to-face -face conversation with someone and seeing someone in the flesh, you can really understand people's emotions a lot more when you're with someone than what you can through a screen. I think we all can certainly say that we know everyone has found it hard having to do things that way, but you can actually get a real idea of how someone is coping by actually standing or sitting in front of someone um, and being able to have a, a, a real conversation and a feel it, feeling that emotion in everything that you're talking about. And being back at training, have the team been able to regain some fitness again and start running around? And Yes. Have there been yeah. any rusty touches? Oh, yeah, there, yeah <laughs> there, there, there certainly has been some, some rusty ones, which is completely uh, understandable after 18 months. You know, it's, it's like having to get back on a bike or something like that if you haven't done it for so long. So, yeah. But actually, do you know what? It, it just came naturally. Um, I think that's also helped with uh, the coach that we've got, John Murphy. You know, he's absolutely phenomenal. He was really, he was the missing piece of the puzzle in when we started the training and myself and Sean Thomas, we were doing things that within our ability that we thought were going to help progression in regards to learning new skills and improving fitness. But we certainly did not have the skill and the talent and the ability that we now have in a coach. You know, he can literally see the abilities of the boys. He can see where the, the things that they need to improve on, uh, techniques they need to, to work on and things like that. So that, that really has just helped massively. And it, what it does is it engages with the boys instantly because they actually know in their mindset that the training that they're having would be is exactly if they were training for a local side so they've now got the the mental ability and understanding to actually realize that they are now in a situation where they can push themselves to the limit and know 
that if there isn't something quite right or they need to work on, then they've got a coach that is going to be able to get them to where they want to go. And for those who aren't fully aware of transplant football or people who want to get involved with transplant football in some way, like myself, who just inquired about joining a transplant football team ah. when it starts up again, what are the adaptations, if there are any, in transplant football matches at the games? Um, so actually, at the games, uh, everyone has to do a fitness test, um, which is obviously understandable. Um, but that's about it, really. Um, as long as uh, you know you are well in yourself and you feel physically capable and able of playing, then you can play. Um, it's very much the the standard like playing for any normal team. And I don't like saying a normal team because, you know what, the transplant team is just as normal as, as any other league team, yeah. um, in my opinion. The only difference is the fact that, you know, some people have had a transplant or some people are having um, medical treatment of, of some, some sort. But actually, when you're on the pitch, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference from general Joe Bloggs to a patient like myself playing. Does anyone wear any sort of protection over where their new organ is? I mean, particularly in our case with the, the kidneys being in a different mm -hmm. position to where they normally yes. are and not yeah. having any sort of real natural protection around them. Does anyone wear any extra padding or some sort of protection? Um, so actually, actually, no, we don't have anyone in our team. Um, but I do know when we've gone to, uh, we played in like local tournaments to do a transplant that I, I have known of some patients that have worn um, like a protective thing uh, around their waist. Um, but they're few and far between. And I mean, like, like myself and other uh, patients that are on, our, on our team, we've got some patients that have got... Um, uh, access in their chest for the dialysis treatment um and i play with the lads and and it's no problem you know and regularly actually i even play in goal so i think what probably what happens is is i think that because you're playing with other patients there's an understanding there of just needing to be weary so i think naturally patients are just cautious yeah i mean they've I spoke to, I think it was the first episode of this podcast back in December. I spoke to Stephen Harrison, who plays football as well for the Liverpool transplant team, and saying that he would, or a lot of the players, run around with almost the forearm over the kidney right. in case they need to Kidney. block it or okay. get in the, basically just put in, your, put in your organ first, thinking, I'll just handle that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I, I think that that is kind of a, it's just a natural instinct, isn't it? And I think um, even with people like myself with the chest, uh, my chest line, and we've got some patients that have got fistulas as well as, as access for dialysis that I think, yeah, I think people do exactly that. I think um, when they're looking to go into tackles and things, I think you kind of naturally position yourself in a way that the rest of your body creates a shield. Yeah. And when I eventually get back into football, which will hopefully be this summer, I'll be wearing uh, the Hiroki kidney shield, which goes around the, right. ab the lower abdomen. Um, I won a competition set up by Hiroki and the World Transplant Games Federation. So they very kindly sent me that as a winner. Um, it's for anyone who's not seen it. Uh, I th there's probably a link on the Transplant Take on Sport Instagram to my review of it somewhere. Um, it's like an elasticated belt like you get with the back support 
with um, there's a some padding over the kidney that's when it gets hit, it hardens on impact to just give you that extra. Wow. For me, it's mainly been a confidence booster to get back at my main sport is cricket for fielding, bowling, just so that if the ball does bounce up, you've Ouch, got yeah. the confidence to get behind it. Thankfully, I've never touched wood, uh, never been hit over the years in that area. Uh, but if anyone would like a, a hero key kidney shield, uh, if you go onto their website, which will be linked in the show notes, uh, you can use the code thanks Lewis zero five zero five two one, and that will get you twenty dollars off your purchase. So if that's something you're after, go and have a look. And while we're on the topic of um, of sporting equipment that I may be able to help you with a discount with, um, if anyone's playing cricket or wants any clothes for the gym or a bag to go to the gym, I recently bought a hold all from them. Uh, if you go to neoncricket.co.uk and use the code LEWISD25, you'll get 25% off your whole order. So I know it's a football-themed podcast, but if anyone plays cricket, <laughs> play cricket as well, please check them out. I could highly recommend it. Uh, back onto the Wales transport football team. Mm-hmm. What's sort of the next competition you're aiming for, the next place to go? Um, so we're hoping to obviously set up some games pretty soon. Um, I think, again, just... You know, due to the pandemic, we it, it can't happen quick enough, unfortunately. But I say that at the same time, we've only been back training now a couple of months. So we, we need to be leaving it a, a fair while just so that the boys have the opportunity to regain their fitness, um, get back into the training itself. You know, that that takes time. Um, for the boys to get back up to the levels that they were. So I think what we'll look to do is we'll look to set up some kind of friendlies uh, with some other transplant teams uh, across uh, England and Wales, whether that be home here with us or whether we go away. Um, but that's something that's it's, it's later in the pipeline. I think at the moment for us, we just want to focus on uh, the lads having the opportunity to come together, get back into the training, keep them as safe as we possibly can while things are still a bit up in the air and still a bit uncertain. Um, And it also then just provides the opportunity to uh, be with other people other than themselves in the house, you know? So it's just giving them the opportunity to have a bit of social at the moment when still things seem a bit up in the air. And how can people find the team online or get involved? Is that something they can do? Can new players join all the time? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have actually got on uh, my Twitter and I have got on my Facebook. So if you look for Sean Ruck on Facebook, you will find me. I have done some posts and it's actually got our poster on there. It explains that we train uh, the first of the month and the third Sunday of the month. So it's twice twice a month we train, a couple of hours. If anyone is interested, whether that be... Uh, a transplant and this could be any transplant we would love to get some different transplanted players on our team at the moment it's pretty much 99% kidney and 1% liver which is phenomenal in itself but yeah anyone that is out there listening really keen to join us uh, we actually got a training this Sunday 10 till 12 at Pencoid College um, if you're listening to this and the podcast podcast gets out on time that'd be fab it'll be for us for the purposes of us uh, it will be a week on Tuesday. Uh, off the top okay, of my head, that's not too bad. Be. 
thus far, well, we'll be doing one on the third of the month anyway, every, every third Sunday as well. So there's always plenty of opportunities to, to come and please feel free to get in contact if you want more details about the actual training itself. So please go and have a look at that. And before we come on to your transplant story and your journey with kidney problems, which has been throughout a large part of your life, yes. what would you say is your greatest sporting achievement or proudest moment with the Wales transplant football team? Uh, so the proudest moment with the Welsh transplant team is without a doubt taking them to the games in itself. You know, just just that moment um, was huge for myself again and for the other team managers. We never thought that we would be able to take not just a football team, but to be able to take so many patients to the game and for it to be such a success overall. But it was without a doubt, it was that they're able to get to the final and, you know, we came second, you know, first or second in that situation, going to the transplant games, never really competed majorly before was, was a huge, which a huge thing. It was a huge thing for me um, to see these lads have that opportunity, you know, to think if I was ever in their, their shoes at that age or the ages that they are, and to have been given that opportunity to have that chance at competing in a football team for your country, for the British Transplant Games, um, I would have been in absolute awe. So to be able to just watch it and see the success and the joy and all the positivity that it gave them in that moment to get to that point was amazing i i do you know what in i almost felt like a proud father in many ways just to see them achieve that representing your country at, at any level i mean uh, transplant patients i've said this a few times on here getting to the point of representing your country after having a transplant is in bizarre circumstances achieving a childhood dream absolutely you know who who would not want to represent their country in any source or in anything you know to be able to say that i'm here to represent the country where I was born, that I grew up in, that I love so much. And I'm going to be showing them how amazing this country is of where I'm from. Yeah, absolutely massive. I know I said we were going to come on to your transplant story, but while we're here, <laughs> um, I actually tweeted out on Instagram, Facebook, asking for some listener questions and we've got a few for you. Okay. If anyone is interested in getting their questions in for a chance to feature on future podcasts, if you follow Transparts Take On Sport on Instagram and Facebook at Transparts Take On Sport Pod and Twitter at TTOS Pod, there'll be a post that goes out the day before each episode is recorded and you can send any questions, whether that be through commenting, DM, a little question box on Instagram, whatever it may be. If you send them in, there's a chance to feature on the podcast. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The first one comes from whoever runs the Transplant Wales football Instagram page, and it says, how much does he love his captain? Oh, how how cheeky is that? So that's that's Orion Shakespeare. Um, so that is uh, a transplant patient, liver transplant patient. Um, so actually, like I said before, it was him that reached out to myself and Sean. Obviously, I love him to bits. He is such a great guy. He is, I would actually say he is almost the center of the team. Uh, the relationship that he has with all of the boys, um, I know that the boys could ever talk to him about anything. Um, and he, he just, he, he really brings the team together. He helps, he's helped to create and mold what we've got now. Ev- everything that we have succeeded with up until this point and everything that we have been able to create for the football team is absolutely just as much down to O-line as it is to myself and to Sean. The next question comes in from well, it's a couple of questions from Darren. He says, "I'm going to try the pronunciation of the team in Welsh." Uh, <laughs> Go on. Uh, who is Sean's favourite player for Tim Transplaniad Cymru, and how oh. many tournaments and trophies can the team win? Who is my favourite player? Well, that's that's just not possible. Do you know what? I I love all of the boys for various different reasons. You know, because they all bring something different to the team, to the friendship, to the brotherhood that is Tim Transplanning and Cymru. Um, so I can't put just one person down for that, I'm afraid, Darren. But um, <laughs> I, do love, I do love you all dearly, and you are all absolute superstars, in my opinion. And what can we achieve? Absolutely everything. Everything that we set our minds to, mentally, physically, we are going to be able to bring home so many different trophies, so many different medals, compete at so many different levels. And I believe that every single one of the, the team members will be able to see that success as well. And hopefully they do. And the final question comes in from Fez and it's probably more for before you got a coach in with the team. Okay. Uh, as you're now managing, you've got a, a coach in. Do you play football manager and does it help with tactics? <laughs> um, so actually, I I try and stay out of the main game. Um, I I'd rather the boys have the the opportunity to be on the field and and have that have that chance. Um, but actually, no. Do you know what? I try not to be the team manager on the field. If I do play, um, I try and get into the mindset like the other lads. You know, to just represent 
be one of the boys and try and achieve everything that everybody else is. It's only when I'm off the field and kind of helping with the coaching and trying to push the boys to through their best abilities is the only time I really put on that TM head, I think. <laughs> is, the, is the coach into playing football manager on his computer or iPad? Does he use it for any tactics? <laughs> <laughs> no do you know what i haven't played team manager since i was in my teens and to be honest even when i played it then i found it so frustrating i had to stick with fifa i was always about being the player and just being on the field i have to say it took too long football manager absolutely you sit there just watching it calculate <laughs> you know outcomes and you think why am i doing this when i could actually just be playing the games myself we'll move on to your uh, your your kidney transplants now uh I say transplants, plural. Um, yeah. Your first one was actually at a, a, a very young age. Mm. Uh, if anyone heard that noise, that was my uh, my plug socket <laughs> falling off. Uh, <laughs> when did your kidney problems first start? Um, so I was actually born with kidney dysplasia. Um, so my kidneys never actually formed properly. Um, but it wasn't until I think I was about six or seven weeks old that it was picked up. Um, my mother was... Uh, constantly trying to tell the doctors that there was something not quite right with me. I should probably even say that. Say that. <laughs> um, but for different reasons, um, something wasn't quite right. I just, well, I wasn't well, I wasn't taking my feeds and things like that. And it was actually written in my mother's notes that she was an erratic mother. But through time, um, they did tests on me and then they found that my kidneys hadn't formed properly. How aware would you have been? I'm going to give away the age you had your transplant here. Your transplant was at six. Yeah. Under that age, how aware were you of the, the problems? Oh, very, very little. Um, I think even probably from the moment that my parents found out I had kidney problems, um, the mindset that my parents have, and I think that's why it's instilled in me, is that I'm no different to anyone else. So they made sure that they provided me with any opportunity that allowed me to be normal in brackets um so growing up i didn't really have any idea you know obviously i would go for regular checkups to great ormond street um but i didn't really think anything of it other than the fact that i had to have a checkup that's all it that's all it ever was uh so yeah i was completely oblivious so with the kidneys not forming properly were you on dialysis before the age of six then no do you know what i was so fortunate um with all the checkups that i had everything was um, okay, my, my my kidneys were constantly deteriorating from the moment of birth up until I had the transplant. And I was about, I was, I was something like four to six months away from possibly having to go on to dialysis. And someone was looking down on me somewhere that uh, I didn't have to go through that as a child. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, yeah, I had my transplant before I needed to, to actually have dialysis treatment. Like mine, my, um, I was so grateful to avoid it just because of it's still, I, I know we've, we've said, we've said normal a lot throughout, throughout the podcast. It's, it's audio mm. only. We've both been putting our fingers in the air and moving them around because we don't, we don't really like saying normal, no. but there was a bit more of freedom without yes. dialysis. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, it meant that, you know, I, I had I had a social life as, as a kid, you know, you would go out and you would play and I had no restrictions to that, you know, which was absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, it, it certainly meant that when I was growing up from being a baby to the age of six, 
I was able to build relationships and be a child as a child, I suppose, should normally be. Once you'd had the transplant, how did you find living with it as a child? And I've asked a few people this before, being at school with it. Okay. Um, so, again, actually, do you know what? It was, uh, I think I was really lucky to have the upbringing that I did. I think what it did was I wasn't put in this bubble of protection so that meant that I was able to do things that other people were doing. And it, and through that experience, it meant that I never had to say that I was a patient. I never had to say that I was any different to my best friend, my other friends. I was just a child being a child. And I think that's where I was really fortunate because that meant then that I never had to see myself as anything different. And that's obviously then helped instill that mentality up until the age that I am now. You can see it. That's gone right the way through with how you live in life as you yeah, are. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose leading on from that, as you were sort of, you were not seen as any different mm. and sport being a big part of your life. You've said how much you like playing football growing up. Yeah. Were you just playing completely regularly football as, as any other kid would? Yeah, that's it. I play. I played for for my local team um, where I lived back in Basingstoke, where I was born. Um, so yeah, and I absolutely loved that. And I got to say, one of one one of the benefits from having the transplant was obviously the fact that you know you you're on quite high medication back then, high steroids and things. So I certainly had the ability that I was I was built like a brick house, and I was I was almost fast as uh, Usain Bolt as a kid. So that really helped impact with sport. I think it certainly helped uh, in in some positive ways. You know, it, it had a, a positive impact rather than having a negative impact. Hugely, a bit like a Dharma Traore. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> do you know what? And and I was like a whippet. I wish I. Do you know what? I wish I had that that speed now. And unfortunately, I don't. And any <laughs> of the boys um, in the football team will absolutely tell you that that I don't. But um, yeah, that was huge. So you know, I and I think that's why then I also loved sport because. I was so physically able and physically capable that I was able to enjoy sports and get into all types of sports. I think the only thing that I really never really enjoyed, and I certainly don't do now, is anything like to do with with athletics massively. Um, it's the sort of thing I wouldn't put myself into um, unless I suppose I was doing it for a particular reason. More of a, a team sport player. Absolutely, yeah. I'm I'm always about playing as a team um I, I think that's where you get the buzz in sports you know oh, yeah. because you're able to feed off one another um you're always pushing one another uh to be the best that they possibly can and even even in those situations where actually you're not succeeding it's your teammates that pull you through and keep you saying you know hold your head high we can still keep going you know don't drop your head just keep pushing forward we got this come on keep focused and you know that that I think that's that's where you get the joy of sport or I, I know I certainly do people may know uh listening to this kidneys or or transplanted organs don't last forever yours unfortunately did fail uh, still in your childhood um yeah still very very young mm-hmm. was that just a, a natural cause natural decline as they would do do you know I wish it was a natural decline um it unfortunately it wasn't it went from I I was having appointments at the time I think every every three to four months so obviously every three to four months you have your check-in see how things are doing blah 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 
And the next time that I went for the appointment, obviously because I was in school at the time and these were my GCSE years, I would go to the hospital, have my bloods, and then they would call with the results. And I remember my father coming to come into the school. Um, I was in the middle of a lesson and he had to pull me out. And basically my results had just gone boom. Um, rejection had hit massively. Uh and that was it. That was that was game over for my first transplant. And like you said, they don't they don't last forever, um, which is obviously it's unfortunate. You know, it's just another treatment like having dialysis. It's, it's not a cure. There is not a cure. But I was very fortunate that even when I lost that transplant, you know, I had 10 really good years of almost no major interruptions. You know, you have your blips here and there and. You know, your odd surgeries that, that you've got to have and, and treatments, blood transfusions, so on and so forth. Um, I've never been the sort of person that kind of counts how many operations or procedures I've had because actually um, that's not the focus that I want to have. You know, I have it, get it done and move forward. So, yeah, it was it was a very difficult time when uh, my first transplant failed. Very, very difficult. So did that go from absolutely fine to crashing? Absolutely. And, oh. and the obviously the difficulty was, which many people uh, would probably say themselves, is that actually when that rejection happens, you don't necessarily feel any symptoms of that. Yeah. So obviously I was in school, absolutely fine. I was actually in my drama class, rehearsing for my GCSE project, <laughs> working with, with my friend, um, you know, so it, it was the two of us working on this project. And basically I was pulled... And so not only did that impact on me, obviously, having to deal with such a traumatic thing, but that also meant that I'd left, you know, a, a friend and a classmate in the lurch for their, for their GCSEs. <laughs> not, not good at all. How did you then deal with the kidney failing and moving towards another transplant? At that point, did you go on dialysis? Yes. Uh, so uh, basically, I obviously then had to look at starting dialysis. And the only dialysis knowledge that I had at the time was being in Great Ormond Street and seeing young children on hemodialysis. And then back then, it was the big Baxter machines, the big blue machines. And you'd see these teeny tiny children, you know, plugged up to looking poorly, really poorly. So because that was the only knowledge that I had, I was very scared really frightened yeah. i didn't want to do it i would have quite happily have done anything else other than go on dialysis um but obviously through conversations with the pediatric unit they explained that things aren't exactly the same now you've actually got some options you can have dialysis at home so that was the the savior um so i went on to apd to start because that meant that i didn't have the things of having to have needles three times or four times a week. It meant that I could have dialysis overnight while I slept. So it also meant that I could continue the school. I could try and continue to be a young adult and try and experience all those opportunities that you do as a teenager. Um, but unfortunately that didn't work. Uh, we, we kind of trialed it for about six months, but it never worked. Um, I then actually got a really bad infection uh, in the line so it had to come out and then I had to start hemo so for a short period of time while I was still on pediatrics I had to go to Cardiff UHW 
for that. And then I transferred to adults. And when I went to the adult unit and saw what their hemodialysis was like, it was a completely different ballpark situation because obviously in pediatric, you have that situation of being kept in a very nice, pretty bubble. You know, um, you've got major flexibility. It's a lovely place to be. There was only two dialysis machines in the pediatric unit. So there was only ever myself and someone else. And you had a lot of home comforts. You had consoles and things that could keep you entertained. Well, you then take that to an adult unit, which um, is a unit which is for patients that obviously have to have regular hemo, but it also um, had patients that were poorly as well, that were admitted in Cardiff UHW. So you had a real mixture of patients and it was almost like the 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 feeling I remember is it almost felt like I was walking into a herd of cattle being kind of plumbed up and being milked it was a it was terrible 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 experience and I didn't like it at all however it was a situation that was thrust upon me and I had no other options but again I was really lucky that during that time of me being transferred from pediatrics to adults they were just rolling out home hemodialysis so I was like yeah I would love to do that you know is this an option can I do it and I again so lucky and so thankful to my parents that they said yeah we'll do it whatever needs to be done they learned the machine they learned to put me on the machine they learned to needle me you know which is huge mm, for any definitely. parent having to medically look after your son but also to have to put you know these 16 gauge inch needles into your child three to four times a week to keep them well you know that's that's a massive ask massive massive ask so then yeah I did that and in total I did dialysis for just over four years before I had my second call how did it feel to get the call for the second one? <laughs> oh, uh, um strange surreal um i don't think you can actually put it into words um when it happens because when you get the call it's always at completely crazy times like either the middle of the night or early hours of the morning so you're taken by surprise and when i had this call i think i'd already had two previous so i in my mind i i went to hospital thinking that it just wasn't going to happen. I remember sitting in the waiting room while we were waiting to start the process. Was it going to happen? Was it not? Uh, had the bloods to check that everything was okay and sat there waiting for hours and just thinking I'll be going home, going home. And then they said, no, it's a match. We're going to go ahead with it. And even in, even in that process, it's like an out of body experience. I didn't feel like I was there, I was just watching myself go through the process and I I wasn't nervous, I wasn't upset, I wasn't worried. They took me down to theatre and it just happened. It happened almost as if it was a regular thing for me to do. I, I just can't explain it. It's really strange. It also, it's so quick as well. And mine was a, a live donor. I didn't have that experience of the call, but you've got time to build up and prepare for it. Yeah. For you, going bang, straight in. Yeah. How do you prepare yourself mentally for something that major to happen? I, th I think mentally you prepare for it differently. I think it's dependent uh, at how old you are 
and what your experience of kidney disease is, um, because I think all of these factors kind of entwine into the way that you you work a way to cope with it. Um, because I think if I was to go, you know, if I was to have a call now for a third kidney, I know that I would be in a completely different mindset compared to what I was for the first one, you know, being six years old, not really having a clue. Second one, having a complete full understanding of what a transplant meant, but I was almost oblivious to what was going on because I think I was just in so much shock. But this time I, I have a much mature understanding of one more what that gift means to me, you know, to have that third chance of having a gift of life, but also know what life it will give back to me. Um, I don't think I fully took advantage or even was fully aware of how lucky I was with both of my transplants. You know, I think I lived in a world where I didn't acknowledge my condition fully and just thought that my kidneys would always last. Um, I'm just a normal person now. It's going to be no problem. Live the rest of my life, you know, mapping out your future yeah. in teenage years, um, what it is that you want to be, what you want to do and, and what sort of life you're going to live. And I never really looked at myself as having a condition. And the only times I think I, reality strikes is when you're in that situation where things go wrong. Oh yeah. Um, it, yeah. It's big reality check once, once, something major happens like that, whether that be your native kidneys failing or a transplanted kidney mm. failing or anything, any major health condition or even, yeah, yeah, so many things. And for anyone wondering what the, if they had any background noises there, uh, as we said at the start, Sean is recording from the dialysis unit. Uh, so there was someone behind him there. So that's what the noises were. You mentioned in there, you're now waiting for another one. So unfortunately, mm. your second transplant also failed. Yes. How do you pick yourself back up from that happening again? Um, slowly, basically, um, slowly. Um, when when it failed, uh, I I took that very 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 hard. Um, I I had a fiance at the time, um, two children, um, and again it was a situation of I was putting my condition to the side and probably was not the focus that it should have been because my focus was my partner and my two children. So again, I was going to clinic, having my bloods done, and then going to work. Um, and the day that um, I, that, that day that I went for clinic appointment, <laughs> I, I was outside my children's school waiting to pick them up because um, I was able to to finish early and whatever. And I had a phone call and they said, your results, again, are through the roof. We need you to come in. We need to investigate what's going on. And stupid me said, well, I can't. I'm picking up my kids, you know, because that, that was my focus. You know? Again, I wasn't really um, acknowledging, I suppose, what was being said to me because my focus was, well, I, that's going to have to wait, you know. I'll come when I'm available, when realistically, you know, I should have gone straight there. But, you know, whether you know yourself, you know, when you're so focused on trying to, again, live that normal life, um, that becomes your focus and you don't, 
you don't want your condition to get in the way however you know if you don't make your condition as much a focus as the life that you're trying to live then that's when really traumatic things can happen and like myself you know land in the situation that I did lost my transplant um so I'd had that it was it was nine and I had it nine and a half years when it was failing um they did try and save it um they did try and stop it from rejecting anymore and try and stabilize it however it just didn't work uh and they said that you'll probably get about another six months out of your kidney before you're at a stage where you need to go back on dialysis and I remember saying over the nine and a half years that I would never want to go back on dialysis. It wasn't a life that I enjoyed. It wasn't a life that um, was a positive experience, unfortunately. Um, as much as my my parents tried to provide me still with a very stable and flexible life, it's the fact that I knew that I was different and that massively impacted on me mentally and made that I was... Um, very, very socially distant. And I had become very institutionalized for those kind of four years, really, I didn't do very much socially. And that's, that's a big part of my life that you miss out on, you know, your teenage years is the is the years where you start to think about who you're going to be, and you find yourself as a person, and you do all the things that you shouldn't do as a teenager, and all of that sort of thing. And I didn't get any of that. So that that had impacted on me. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was very, very difficult. So it did last six months. Um, <laughs> when I say that it lasted another six months, um, I was crawling. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't get up the top of the stairs without breaking, um, and needing to literally lie on the floor to catch my breath back. It was, it was terrible. Uh, so I then started hemodialysis. Um, that was my first choice straight away because I, that, so again, the mentality that I was in in this situation was I, I have a partner, I have two children, and we're a family. So for me, moving forward, I needed to have a separation of my treatment and be able to come home and be a partner and be a father. So that's why I made the decision to dialyze in my local dialysis unit in Clantrescent, which is five minutes down the road for me. So on my 30th birthday was when I had my uh, first hemodialysis session. And I've been doing that now uh, just over five years. Happy birthday. What a, what a birthday present. Absolutely. <laughs> are, you on, are you using the fistula and needle then? Or are you on the neckline this time? Uh, so um, I'm, I'm on, a, on a chest line this time. I have had fistula in the past and I was self-needling and doing complete self-care in the unit but unfortunately it it clotted and they were unable to salvage it so i've been back on the chest line now for uh best part of two years the hope is for another transplant isn't it absolutely um for me that is what i feel provides the the best opportunities and the more flexibility um although i i know some amazing people that have been dialyzing pretty much all their life um and they do amazing on it you know uh, huge successes and coping with it really well um i think probably because i've had more life transplanted than dialysis 
I think I would just like to go back to being in that situation again. Yeah. Uh, so fingers crossed uh, a third one does happen for me. However, unfortunately, I am in a situation where transplanting for a third time, uh, it's a bit more difficult for my situation just because I've got so many antibodies now that I pretty much fight against anything that, that it wants to come in contact with. So I know that dialysis is going to still be quite a long period of time for me, but at the same time, I'm in a comfortable position where I'm able to manage my treatment successfully, be able to hold down a phenomenal job that I absolutely love, and I'm still be able to enjoy the family time that I have. I've said it earlier, but what a great outlook you've got on attitude and mindset going through everything you've been through since your whole life. It's very, very up and down, isn't it? Because you've got the higher transplant failed transplant yeah failed you're still able to do some football aren't you at the moment yes yes so, you know, absolutely you know being being part of the transplant team is is something that i love i'm i mean like i'm not physically as fit as some of some of the other lads on on the team and you you see me kind of dip in and out of the training you know needing needing to take a knee and and, and catch my breath back but I love that opportunity of being able to, like I said before, to be involved with the camaraderie and to feel like I am one of the lads um, and just enjoy that experience of being part of a football team again. I've meant to ask this when you mentioned the third transplant and the chances of that, just because I'm, I'm curious too, third transplants, as somebody who had one, the first one quite young, um, what the third, if the third one does come, yeah, what are we right in thinking you've got have you got two in the front now? Yes, yeah. Would the, th- would the third one replace one of those? Uh, so when uh, when my transplant actually, my second transplant failed, um, they, they instantly looked at, um, I had ultrasounds to see what that kidney was like and then obviously look at the other side of me to see what the first kidney was like. Well, that one has completely dissolve pretty much there's not much there so if i do have a third transplant it will go in the position of where my first one went okay so just so that's almost completely gone then the first one pretty much yeah wow yeah obviously you know it failed when i was i think now i was 15 going on 16 so actually that was 20 plus years ago now it's a long yeah going forward transplant or dialysis what would you say you your goals are let's let's say sporting wise it's a sports themed podcast oh okay so i think goal wise is to definitely take the transplant team to the british transplant games again which is in leeds uh next year and to win you know we came we came second so we're not going to accept anything other than first now um and i i can definitely say that all of the boys will have that mentality hopefully you're successful at the next games sean what a pleasure to talk to you. I've certainly learned a lot from your attitude and mindset and the way you've dealt with so many ups and downs and setbacks. One more thing before we go. And as I say on each podcast, it's the question that I ask everyone. What's one piece of advice you'd give to someone facing a transplant? Um, I think someone who is facing a transplant uh, to communicate with other patients, to seek advice and support from others that are in your situation um, it can be a very scary time and I certainly know myself and from, from supporting other patients that you can, 
you can isolate yourself quite a bit because you think you're the only one that's going through it. Whereas actually, if you speak to others that have been through it or have been through similar situations, it can really put your mind at ease because what you're able to do in that moment is you're able to empathize with someone, you know, because you can, you can talk to family members and you can talk to friends about what you're going through, but you do hit a barrier in these conversations because there is unfortunately through nobody's fault a lack of understanding of what it is that you're either about to go through or actually what you're having to mentally cope with so that would definitely be my number one advice speak to other patients i completely agree with you and found that you was myself and i'm sure you're a, a real role model to the rest of the wales transplant football team i'd like to think so <laughs> I, I hope i hope so where whether they they would say that i am because i, I know that certainly sometimes i can be um a bit of a ball breaker, I think, sometimes uh, in, in training. And it's, it's, it's through no fault. I think uh, sometimes what it is, is I can see what I can see in them is I can see myself and I, I just want to help them achieve everything that, that they possibly can. And you know what? I've, I've already been seeing that already. And like I said before, I couldn't be any prouder of them. You know, they, they are all absolute superstars in their own right. And to... I've gone on the journeys that they all have and also different to mine, some even a lot worse than what I have, but to still turn up, you know, two Sundays uh, a month and be on that field and give it their all. I, I, I take my hat off to them. I think they're absolutely super. Absolutely. There we go. Sean, thank you for coming on. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you like what you're hearing, please make sure you tell your friends, family, anyone to help spread the word, whether that's telling people or sharing the posts on social media, sharing the pages around. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it would mean a huge amount to me if you could rate the show, the show podcast, five stars on the show page. And if you leave a review as well with your five-star review, I'll read those out at the end of the podcast. And it really does help to allow more people to discover this and bring more people in to listen and hopefully learn from the inspiring guests that I chat to each week, every other week now. Thank you once again to my guest today, Sean Rook. I've been Lewis Daniels, and you've been listening to Transplants Take on Sport. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. 
Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.